Don't just let your dog run around the backyard. They're going to eat things they're not supposed to eat. They're going to dig where they're not supposed to dig. They're going to develop bad behaviors they're not supposed to develop. You want to have complete control over your dog. Welcome. My name is Michael Aceta. I'm the founder of Matador Canine Brilliance and author of the Dog Training Cheat Codes. You're listening to the Acknowledged Dogs Podcast. It has been a while since I've recorded a podcast episode. We went on a little hiatus there uh, with the holidays and everything going on. Just kind of slowed down my production a little bit, but you will be happy to know that things are going to pick up, and I am debating starting a second podcast, more in-depth science business-related for professional dog trainers. If you're a professional dog trainer who listens to my podcast, and that sounds like something you'd really want to listen to and maybe be a guest on, please let me know as I might start doing it if a lot of people are interested in it. If not, then I'll stick to my acknowledged dogs. Otherwise, we'll have two podcasts with my wonderful voice, as people say. So today I want to talk about, and this is actually uh, pretty interesting, I asked AI, because AI is this big thing right now. I said, okay, AI, if I got a hyperactive dog, a really excited dog, and I wanted to tire them out, what should I do? Now understand, AI gives you just blanket information. It's very general. It's not very specific. So what I did was I looked at the 10 that it gave me, and I said, okay, that's not too shabby. That's not too bad. But what I wanted to do is expand on it, give you what AI's advice is in the event that you went and you said, oh, I don't know what to do with my dog today. Let me you know, type in, hey, AI, act as my dog trainer and tell me what I should do. Because that's often what I do when I, I don't have something for dinner. Like, hey, what should I have for dinner? These are the ingredients, and it'll spew out a good recipe. So if you're des- deciding to do that or you haven't thought of it, now you're like, wow, Michael, that's an that's amazing idea. I'm going to go try that out. Here are some things you got to watch out for. Number one, it's generic. Okay, it gives you very blanket statements. Number two, there's detail, but it's not in-depth detail. And number three, it does not account for some of the things that could happen or your particular goals unless you strategically put them into your prompt for the AI. For example, in one of the things that we're going to talk about, it talks about doggy dances, like dancing with your dog to music, which is cute. It's great. It's fun. However, if you have a hyperactive dog, it does not account for the fact that you're teaching your dog to be overstimulated whenever you start to dance. What happens when you go to dance with your spouse? What happens when you got to go to the bathroom and you do that silly dance and now your dog jumps in and knocks you down and you've made a mess, right? So I'm going to go over some of those things that maybe the AI didn't think about or we could probably change if we strategically put in a specific prompt, okay? So number one, it says, right, and I just asked it very simply, I said, hey, give me 10 easy ways to exercise my dog. Number one, going for a daily walk. This is, this is, you know, the the bare bones of exercising your dog. Go for a daily walk. It says this is the most basic and easy way to exercise your dog. Not only provides mental and physical exercise, but it allows them to explore new sights and smells. That's absolutely right. Taking your dog for a walk is remarkable for their physical and mental stimulation. They're sniffing things. They're they're bringing in new uh, stimuli, right? Just the environment itself is producing excitement for them. So, so they're, they're getting something new, stuck in the house, stuck in the crate, 
you know, maybe you work all day, so you don't really get to do much with your dog, just getting them out into the world, just like people, right? You go take a 30-minute daily walk, you're probably going to feel better by the end of the walk because you've got some sunlight, you've got some vitamin D in your system, you got some fresh air, some good oxygen, not that circulated stuff in the office or in your house. So taking your dog for a daily walk not only is good for your dog, but actually good for you, as long as two things. Number one, it doesn't cause more stress for you and your dog based off your dog's reactivity or overstimulation. Then we're not looking at improving our dog's physical exercise and mental stimulation. Instead, we're actually going the opposite. We're going back. We're, we're creating more stress, the increase in cortisol in your dog, which means they're, they're going to be stressed for longer. It's going to take, and you know, depending on the level of severity of stress they have, it could take until tomorrow for them to feel better. So if you're doing three walks a day, and each time they're getting stressed and stressed and stressed, that's what's called trigger stacking. We're, we're stacking on the amount of cortisol that your dog can handle. And so each time they get confronted with this new stimulus that stresses them out more, it could be a car, it could be a dog, it could be a person wearing a hat. As that stuff gets pushed onto them, they become more and more stressed, which means they are less likely to listen to you. They're more likely to get hurt. They're more likely to overreact. And of course, I'm talking about reactive dogs here, but in general, the more stress you put on your dog, the more stress they will acquire over time because they don't have enough time to decompress. They have to decompress first. So that's number one, going for a daily walk. And number two, right, where uh, I think I said that this was, you had to, this is great if you have these two things. Number one, you don't create more stress. And number two, it's structured. I'm the guy who likes structure. I like to know where I'm going based off where I've been and where I am right now. So if I'm just going to go for a 45-minute walk and I'm going to wander around and do nothing, that's not as productive to me as starting my walk off with obedience, walking perfectly to a park, doing some exciting, fun, playing kind of stuff, still with obedience mixed in here and there, but more or less sniffing around, free form, and then obedience on the way back. I love the sandwich, the obedience, play, obedience sandwich, especially if you're doing what we're going to talk about in a little bit. Oh, don't worry, we're, we're going to get there. But, you know, so, so those kinds of things are great if you can structure them. So go for a daily walk with your dog, whether it's once, twice, three times. They don't have to be very long walks. And in fact, I don't recommend insanely long walks, especially if you're in the beginning of your training journey. You don't want to have a perfect 10-minute walk, and then you've been told to do 45 minutes. And instead of just sticking to your 10 minutes, you end up doing 45 minutes of anxiety and stress and chaos. Do 10 minutes three times right? Take a five minute break in between. That's going to be better for you and your dog long-term than a 45 minute walk straight out. All right. Number two, playing fetch. If your dog doesn't know fetch, it's very, very simple. I actually talk about it in my book, my new book coming out. So I'm not going to talk about that yet, <laughs> but I, I break down playing fetch for you. So I'll break it down very simply here. It's all about back chaining. Have your dog pick something up off the floor and just hand it to you, or have your dog pick something out of your hand. And then create distance from picking it up and bringing it to you. Or, right, if they're picking it up out of your hand first, depending on where you start, they pick up the object from your hand and they take a step back, or you take a step back, rather. They have to follow you. And when you click, when they follow you, they will drop the object, accidentally or coincidentally, into your hand. Super simple, right? All I've done is created a system, a successful repetition of them carrying an object for 0.5 seconds and accidentally dropping it in my hand. 
I will then repeat this over and over until they start to pair. Oh, if I come to them and I drop them in their hand, then they click and I get my treat. Clicking is just conditioned reinforcement, right? You could say the word yes. You could use a click. You could make the click sound with your mouth, right? All I'm doing is marking the behavior that I like. I want my dog to bring the object to me and drop it in my hand. Then I will create distance. How far do they have to travel in order to bring it to me? Now that is before I teach them to go get the item. So this is back chaining. I've taught the retrieve, the, the fetch backwards. So now they go get the object and they know exactly what to do. They, I tell them to go get it, they get it, they run back to me, perfect. Super simple, right? Super simple in, in words. But playing fetch, AI says, is an easy and fun way to exercise your dog, especially if you have a park or backyard. Now, you don't need a park or a backyard, although they might help, especially if you're able to do really long fetch, right? You have one of those uh, launchers that lets you launch the ball like 100 yards, and your dog is trusted off leash, or it's an enclosed park. If that's the case, then great. Booyah. Awesome. But you can just teach fetch as a mental and physical exercise. If your dog doesn't know fetch, don't worry about it. Just teach them fetch, and that will be good because you're teaching them a new skill. They're having to acquire and absorb knowledge. They're having to test out problems, creative, problem-solving, all this kind of stuff. They have to go through that in order to find out how to get the reward, how to get to play the game again, how to experience joy and a stronger relationship with you. So playing fetch with you is going to be a wonderful bonding experience even if you don't have a backyard, even if you don't go to the park to do it. Do it in your hallway. Do it in your living room. Just try to keep everything calm and structured, not all over the place and crazy. And here's a bonus tip. If your dog is way too excited about the object you want to play fetch with, don't start with that object. My dog, Hawk, loves a tennis ball. But when we play fetch with the tennis ball, it's very relaxed and it's not as structured. If I do it with a different object, I can get a lot more structure out of it, whether it's a dumbbell, whether it's a PVC pipe that he doesn't chew on, you know, a, a Kong, something that bounces, something very different than a tennis ball. Tennis ball, he loses his mind because his previous owner just played fetch in a casual way. So when he sees the tennis ball, he associates it to this crazy kind of uh, wild interpretation of fetch. As opposed to a nice structured sit next to me, I release you to go get the object, you grab it, you come back, sit in front of me, and then I take the object and we repeat. Okay. Moving on to number three, hiking. If you live near hiking trails, take your dog with you for a challenging and rewarding workout. Now, again, not only is this good for your dog, but it's good for you. This is what I was talking about. AI gives you kind of that general uh, blanket statement here. Going for a daily walk versus hiking. Is there a difference? Absolutely. Especially depending on where you live. If you live in the city, going for a walk is going to have a lot different stimuli, different environmental factors than going for hiking. Right? Now, if you live in an area where hiking is very prevalent and you're uh, very close to a park, something like that. Maybe you don't live near the city, but on the outskirts or in a rural area, hiking might be very normal for your dog. And I know plenty of people who take their dogs hiking and love doing it, especially if their dog gets to be off leash in the particular area they're hiking. Now, I will warn you that things happen, dangerous things happen. Uh, anything could happen in any given moment. Your dog could get lost. There could be a wild animal. They could eat something that's no good. So I wouldn't recommend doing that too often unless you are 100% confident in your dog's abilities and you have an amazing recall. Okay, so that's hiking. Number four, this is fantastic if you live in a, a warm area, if you're in the southern part of the States or uh, you live somewhere else in the world, which shout out to all my international listeners. Thank you for tuning in. I appreciate you. 
So number four is swimming. And uh, AI actually gets this right. So swimming is a low impact exercise that is great for dogs of all ages and sizes. That's absolutely right. Swimming does not have the impact force that hiking or jogging or playing fetch will have on your dog. So I used to work at a facility where we would routinely swim puppies to get them used to the water, how to be handled, how to be manipulated, but really specifically older dogs. You know, they're, they're above eight, 10 years old, sometimes 16, sometimes 17 years old. They could barely walk on their own, but when you got them in the water, they could immediately swim. Arthritic dogs, this is great for, and this is not medical advice, by the way, but it's great for older dogs if you know how to do it. I do not recommend just throwing your old dog into the water and saying, ah, figure it out. No, you want to hold on to them. You want to encourage them to paddle. You can tickle their paws to get them to kick back, especially if they've never done this before, but it is a stressful experience. So you want to be there to make it as easy as possible for them to succeed and feel comfortable. Now, confidence only comes from successful repetition. So you have to do it over and over and over, keeping your dog successful. Don't let them fail. Don't let them drown. Don't let them dip their head below because you weren't paying attention. You've got to be 100% with them during this process, at least until they build up the strength. Or if they're older, they might never build up the strength just because the regenerative capabilities of their muscle cells aren't as good as they are when they're younger. Puppies, definitely, they will build up the strength, but older dogs, no. And so what you want to do is just encourage them, keep them keep them moving, keep them kicking their legs. Now, in swimming, dogs' power stroke comes from the front legs. So if you notice their back legs tucked behind them, that's okay, that's fine. What you should do is, again, tickle their, their pads of their feet and get them to kick their back legs out. Sometimes they'll just give up on their back legs because they don't need them. They just kind of float. Transversely, if you have a dog that's starting to go vertical, that's because dogs think they can climb out of the water, especially hyperactive dogs. They want to climb up and out. So they're trying to get their paws on a, a, some type of footing that doesn't exist because they're in the water. So you want to hold their back end up and try to keep them level. Just the top of their back should be peering over the water. So that was number four, swimming. Number five, agility training. They have amazing, you know, very inexpensive, you can get them on Amazon, you can get them at Target, PetSmart, Petco, that kind of thing. Wonderful agility training sets for indoors and outdoors. If you don't want to spend the thousands of dollars getting professional sets or pay for a membership to go to a facility. Now, AI says set up an obstacle course in your backyard and teach your dog to navigate it. This is great for both physical and mental exercise. Exactly right. Okay. If your dog is nervous, they lack confidence, they're anxious, getting them to do some of these kind of obstacles is going to bring up their confidence. Success or confidence is built through successful repetition. Each time you put your dog into a situation where they have to think creatively and problem solve the situation in order to get a reward or what they want, you are teaching them to be more confident. So the A-frame, right? The A-frame is that big frame that the dog goes up one side and down the other side. The amount of dogs that have had fear issues that love the A-frame after a 20-minute session of just having them go up it, get a treat, come back off, right? And repeat that process over and over through shaping and teaching them that, oh, if you investigate this, I'll give you a treat. They love the A-frame. They might not like everything else until we eventually teach it, but that's the first step. So if you have an anxious dog, I highly recommend agility training at a low, low level. Don't go crazy with your dog, right? And on the advanced side, this is actually uh, something that I used to do to tire my dogs out because I didn't want to run, right? When I was working at this facility, I trained 30 dogs a day or so. I was walking about 10 to 15 miles and we were running, doing agility. I was getting in and out of the pool, swimming. It, it was a lot, right? 
And so sometimes you just get lazy. And so when you're training your own dogs, you cheat a little bit, especially because your dogs are at a certain level when you're in this kind of facility and you're a professional trainer. So what I recommend to my professional or more experienced dog owners here is if you're going to do agility, do what's called a send-off. You stand in one spot after teaching this, right? This is the ultimate goal. You stand in one spot and you have a jump that's 10 feet away. You send your dog to the jump, recall them back, and then turn to another obstacle and send them to that one. So maybe it's the tunnel. And you can add distance to this. It helps burn their energy a little faster because they're running more than you are. And two, it helps them what's called obstacle recognition. So when you say jump, they run directly to the jump, even though you might be facing something different. It's a very advanced agility technique, but it's a wonderful, wonderful way to burn their energy uh, and mental exercise for them because they have to think about which obstacle they're doing. Okay, number six, AI says hide and seek. Hide treats or toys around the house and have your dog find them. This is great for mental stimulation. This is more of, you know, search or detection. So we're going to hide a object or treats. This is very simply, you could just take a tennis ball and leave it in your dog's food or hide your dog's food. Breakfast and dinner, this is perfect with, this is what I used to do with my first dog, Breezy. We would put her food bowl in the car because she hated the car. So I wanted her to explore the car in getting the food. So hide and seek, you just hide it. You tell your dog to go find it. Boom, they go and find it. Super, super simple. The amount of sniffing that's involved to find the reward at the end is what's giving them such great mental stimulation. Sniffing is wonderful for your dog, not only to reduce their stress, but burn their exercise uh, energy and mental stimulation. They're going to be tired afterwards because of the amount of uh, exercise, I'm sorry, the amount of energy required to search something. That's why police dogs, when they do training, they don't do back-to-back-to-back-to-back searches unless that's specifically what they're targeting. They're trying to work on their dog's endurance. How long will they search for? They'll typically do one solid search, and then they'll pause, give that dog a break, take out the next dog, and do the next search like that. So a dog doesn't get 15 takes in a row. Now, they maybe get one, then they go back to the kennel for 10 minutes, then they get to go again. So you got to give them time to kind of digest the information here. All right, number seven, tug of war. Tug of war does not cause aggression in your dog. Okay. AI says tug of war is a fun and easy way to exercise your dog. It can be played indoors or outdoors. That's absolutely true. Tug of war is a great way to build up your dog's motivation. I will not say drive because drives don't exist, but their motivation, their speed, their enthusiasm in training with you. And it's a great way to move away from treats. So I always teach the complex behaviors. I teach everything with treats because it's easier to control my dog's excitement levels. Once we start implementing toys, the excitement level goes up, which means we need to have optimal focus at the same time. I can't have more excitement and a less focused dog. I need to have both. They need to be excited and they need to be focused, which means they need to know the behaviors to begin with. Then I can start to use tug of war in an obedience sense. Okay, this says, you know, AI just says it's a fun and easy way to exercise your dog. I say it's a great way to train your dog. Tug of war is in a remarkable way to teach what's called on and off, okay, on and off, like a a light switch, not on and off as in behaviors of on a placemat and off a placemat, but on and off, or start and stop, red light, green light, whatever you want to call it. Essentially, you're going to play with your dog, tug of war, da-da-da-da-da-da, keep going, keep going, keep going, and then stop. Wait for them to relax for a moment, and then go back to playing. The faster they relax, the faster they get to play. You're teaching them to think critically, to think smoothly, when in a heightened state of awareness, which is going to translate to everything else you do with your dog. Wonderful, wonderful way to burn your dog's energy. Number eight, training sessions. You had, you know it had to be in there. 
It's a dog training podcast. You know it had to be in there. Just straight up training sessions. Teach your dog something new. Work on the behaviors that you've taught them already. It go the extra mile, right? If it's worth training, it's worth overtraining. If you're going to teach them a sit, you might as well teach them a sit at 10 feet away for three and a half minutes while you turn your back and look at something else. Go above and beyond because that one time you really need them to listen could be the difference between life and death. Training sessions are a great way, great way, depending on what you're doing, to burn their physical energy, but always a great way to burn their mental energy. Number nine is what I said earlier, those doggy dances. Okay, this is a fun and easy way to exercise your dog. You can dance with your dog to music or just have a little fun. That's what the AI says. It's a great way to have fun. I did have a client I was working with once, and I told her to do this, right? I said, dance with your dog and then stop, just like I mentioned with tug of war. We're going to do start and stop. Dance with your dog, stop, wait for them to calm down, and then go back to dancing. And she took it rather literally. And what ended up happening was the dog wasn't learning to relax. But whenever mom got excited and started dancing, she wanted to run away. It was because she was forcing her dog to dance. She'd grab her dog's paws and she would like shimmy her around. And then she'd stop for a moment and be like, oh, she's good. She doesn't want to dance anymore. That's fantastic. And then tried to go back to dancing. So the dog didn't like it, which means it was no longer effective. The dog wasn't having fun. The whole point is to get them excited and having fun, overstimulated almost, and then bringing them back down to focus. So we ditched that idea rather, rather quickly. And I recommend only do the things that your dog loves. If you really want to do something particularly, try to make it as enjoyable possible for your dog. And if it's not their cup of tea, don't force them. Right? As a, as a trainer, uh, one of my mentors once said, I am asking the dog to do this. They didn't ask for this. So I'm going to do my absolute best to make it as enjoyable as possible. He was a service dog trainer. This dog did not ask to be a service dog trainer. So I'm going to do my absolute best to make this as enjoyable as possible for them. So if you're going to do doggy dances with your dog, if you already do them, fantastic. Dance, dance, dance. What's that What's that game? Freeze tag? Freeze dance? Play freeze dance. Play, play, play. Run around. Have a grand old time. Dance into music. Pause. Wait for them to relax. And then go back to play. And number 10. Number 10. This is what AI told me is number 10, okay? And this is what I did with my first dog. This is what a lot of people do in the United States. And it's backyard playtime. Let your dog run around your backyard for a few minutes each day to get some good exercise. I think on average, dog trainers would tell you this is a terrible idea. It's a terrible, terrible piece of advice. Sure, they burn their exercise, but there's lawlessness. There's no structure. They get to practice whatever they want to practice, right? And the potential for getting injured is rather high, especially if you have a crazy out-of-control dog that barks at everybody in the neighborhood. Now, if you don't have a dog that naturally wants to express all of this energy, they're just going to lay around outside, which means you're not burning their physical and mental exercise or their energy because there's nothing to stimulate them to move, right? Like think about you. Sure, if you have a goal coming up, you're trying to run a marathon or something, then you're going to work out every day. If you don't have a goal, you're not going to work out every day. Even the goal of working out every day is the motivator to go get you to work out. If you don't have that, you're not going to work out. There's no reason for your dog to get up and run around unless they have a lot of energy and they just feel like they need to, or they're trying to chase the squirrels in the backyard. That's what my first dog did. She ended up just chasing the squirrels in the backyard and developing some bad behavior. She'd bark at every single squirrel, and then that translated to coming into the house and barking everybody. It was about nine years ago or so. And so what did we end up doing? When I'm there, I reward her for relaxing in the backyard. And then we they do other exercise. My, she lives with my parents now. 
They do other exercise like the daily walks and the training and that kind of stuff. But when she's in the backyard, there's constant interruptions to any bad behavior using positive interrupters, right? I say my dog's name, I get their attention back on me, uh, you know, self-redirection, marking good behavior, that kind of stuff. But backyard playtime unsupervised is probably going to get you into more trouble than it's worth. Don't just let your dog run around the backyard. They're going to eat things they're not supposed to eat. They're going to dig where they're not supposed to dig. They're going to develop bad behaviors they're not supposed to develop. You want to have complete control over your dog minimum six months when you first start training. Minimum six months when you first start training. If you do everything right for six months, then you're pretty good. You could probably relax a little bit and continue training, but not to the same level of severity, right? So it's not about getting your dog's energy burned as fast as humanly possible, but rather how do we get it burned long-term? And this goes for everything I just talked about. How do we get their energy burned long-term so we don't have the zoomies at the end of the day and they go to sleep a lot easier? Sleep is where your dog deals with stress, absorbs new information, just like human beings. So if you're, if you're trying to keep them awake or you're not intentionally keeping them awake, but they're, you're not giving them the opportunity to sleep well, then they are going to be more stressed. They're going to not deal with situations as effectively. And training is actually going to be harder because they're not learning as fast. So let's go run through all 10 of them again, just to give you a little overview. If you stayed this long, thank you. I appreciate it. Going for a daily walks, number one. Number two, play and fetch. Number three, hiking. Number four, swimming. Number five, agility training. Number six, hide and seek. Number seven, tug of war. Number eight, training sessions. Number nine, doggy dances. And 10, backyard playtime. Although I don't highly recommend backyard playtime. Instead, you should be doing some type of obedience or training in a casual fashion in your backyard. Guys, thank you for listening to this today's episode of the Acknowledged Dogs podcast. My book, The Dog Training Cheat Codes, is on sale right now. If you want to get a copy of it, head over to matadorcanine.com forward slash cheat codes, matadorcanine.com forward slash cheat codes. It is the nine professional trainer secrets to fast results and reliable dogs. I guarantee you will not be disappointed with that book. It teaches you so much that I wish I knew 10 years ago when I started training. Thank you guys for listening, and I'll see you in the next episode. Thank you for listening to the Acknowledged Dogs podcast. Subscribe to this podcast, leave a review, and connect with me on your favorite social media platform.